Lord, thank you that you do, in fact, call us by name. And thank you, Lord, that your sheep hear your voice. And we, though times can be tough, have a guideline for life, especially in this text, that we, we, give, we give you praise and honor in all things. We thank you that you condition our hearts, you position us to make an influence in a broken world. So help us, Lord, come to an end of ourselves. And I pray this morning that there be more of you and less of me in every way, that you articulate to my heart and the heart of the body of Christ, your word, your truth that sets us free and positions us to make a difference. Just bless each and every person here, each family here, whatever life presents, the circumstances they're facing, let you be glorified. May each of us rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances that we might carry that into the rest of the day, the week, and especially into Thanksgiving and Christmas, that you entrust us with the gospel. So let us set us free from the world and set us free from ourselves especially. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I recently took an IQ test, and you might say, because I paid for the results, I failed. And it, no surprise, came back as very average IQ. <laughs> you know, the tendency is to make ourselves the center of our agenda and that our will ultimately becomes everyone else's mission to delicately grapple with, a self-focused agenda where we miss the whole perspective of God that we're created by God, for God, to bring him glory. And the way that that's most evident in our lives is when the cross is discernible and when the body of Christ functions the way that it's intended to. 20 years of walking with the Lord and attempting to come to terms with my own weaknesses, addiction, sin, being secret self-love, living for my own interests and my own pleasures and my own accumulation of experiences or, or belongings. One of the things that I've learned is that 90% of the times we're unhappy with ourselves because 90% of the time we think about ourselves. But the Lord turns our attention to Jesus Christ and with a grateful heart and a willingness to hear from him and carry out his orders, we can begin to come to terms with this call to selflessness, this call to furthering someone else's potential as they see Christ in us. So this concept of lostness and not quenching the spirit is something we're going to unpack this morning looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as a whole with an emphasis on verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. Verse 19 talks about not quenching the Holy Spirit as part of this, in a sense, roadmap or mission statement for life to rejoice always, 
pray continually, a lifestyle of prayer, and giving thanks in all circumstances, no matter what's happening or isn't happening, that we recognize God's providence and mercy and grace and plan over the entire narrative of Jesus' finished work and how it takes its course in our hearts and lives. But a lostness, losing our way, looks like missing our divine assignment. To understand our assignment and God's purpose for us, we got to understand what it means to be in Christ. To understand that we're no more important than the next person. And we all, in fact, are average to some degree when we stand at the foot of the cross. Doesn't mean you don't try to better yourself and grow in your influence and your understanding of the world and God's character and nature, but we've been given the word and entrusted with the word of God that's living and active, dividing soul and spirit. And we've been entrusted with this thing to better understand God and his mission, ourselves and others, and live into the world with something to offer. And that's not ourselves. And lostness, emotions dominate. And if they dominate us long enough, we lose our way becoming self-absorbed where we sit at the center of our lives. This slow glacier-like drift away from God and his mission ends with me when it starts with me. Talking about myself, acquiring things, as I said, experiences, obsessions, three things manipulate us. We all know this, the enemy, the world, and the flesh. And if we're not guarded, if we don't know the truth and we don't hear the voice of the Lord, then we walk aimlessly towards more of us and less of him. But Jesus provided this mission that we might be found, and our, God's plan for our lives in it is that we allow, uh, allows for problems so that he can, in fact, teach us to live well and not for ourselves. So problems happen for all of us, and problems are about being uh, edified and learning who we truly are, even when things aren't going the way we want them to. His ministry is one of true selflessness. From creation, he came and gave us lives, as it gave his life as the perfect example, and to die for us, the ultimate sacrifice. His surrendered he, uh, Jesus surrendered to the Father God's redemptive plan, his entire mission, his incarnate ministry, his bodily death on the cross. And because of his finished work, to use one of my friend Paul's expressions, both throughout Scripture and in our lives today, bridging the context, the cross holds the tension. Paul's word, you can tweet that later and uh, hit at Paul if you want. <laughs> the cross holds the tension. But we try to hold the tension. We try to make ourselves happy and we try to do what we can to affect others to serve our interests or create a sense of peace and harmony in our house or in our job or in our world. But if we start with ourselves, we end with ourselves and chaos ensues. Are we found or are we lost? If we sit on the throne of our lives, even as believers, we aimlessly wander looking for the cross in our lives. 
the historical context and the main point of 1 Thessalonians is found in chapter 2, verse 12, that says, Live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. It's about an understanding, a recognition of a truth that sets us free, not only from the enemy, the world, but ourselves. If you turn to Psalm 100, this concept of rejoicing and praying and giving thanks and an understanding of time and place and how that works out intergenerationally is found in Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And thanks to him, give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Constant rejoicing is enabled through constant prayer. Given the difficult circumstances around us and the realities of lostness and fear, how can we be consistently thankful even in the most difficult circumstances? For one, is being a student of life. The three points that I'll unpack later are followed in the verse, giving uh, rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances. But to understand the, the, this backdrop of historical context, looking at Psalm 100, the emphasis, for one, is to be a student of life, not looking at your problems as your identity, but looking at what God says as a truth that transforms. The, 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 uh, the Thessalonians had an eschatological problem. They were fixated on the future, ignoring the present, and they assumed the imminent coming of Christ and ignored the present duties. Too often today, we ignore the past, have unrealistic assumptions about the future, and live for today. Those who have lived through history have a responsibility to offer perspective to those only focused on the now. The psalmist in this chapter of Psalm 100 ties the element of present duty and service with thanksgiving and an intergenerational perspective. You can go back and read it and really understand what that's saying and, and receive it deep in your spirit and let it condition your heart and live that out. We got to look to the past and see how God has been faithful to his promises. We also look to the future through biblical hope for God to fulfill his covenant promises that informs our present faith. So it's a past, it's a future, and it's a now of faith, hope, and love. God is faithful for us, and so we have love. Paul's missional life in his second missionary trip, planting churches, just left Philippi where he headed. This precedes this letter to the uh, Thessalonica. He healed a demon-possessed slave girl whose master stirred up a mob and had him beaten and thrown in jail with Silas. He then leaves town and walks to a Roman road to a busy port town called Thessalonica. He preaches there for three weeks. Some convert, others become suspicious. 
continues on to Berea. Athens, where scholars laugh him away, then lands in Corinth where he gets a word about the church in Thessalonica. He writes them a letter dealing with three main problems. He's dealing with persecution, how Christians should conduct themselves, and preparing for Christ's return. So Paul gives context for congregational care and my emphasis in ministry that applies and is modeled for us in the church, the letter to Thessalonica. And then he also gives perspective for not only how the church worker ministers to the person, but also how the body of Christ is to be aware of the person in front of them and to serve them with their hearts for the mission of restoration, the mission of being restored to faith, hope, and love, and ultimately purpose that follows. So are we workers? Well, here in these verses, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians 9 through 15, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, help patient, uh, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. When our heart is set before the Lord, we receive our assignment. We understand his love for us. When we turn our hearts in praise to God as we did this morning, we offer up this sacrifice of our, our minds, our wills, and our emotion, our soul, essentially, is conditioned by praise and prayer and fellowship and an understanding of his, his truth that gives us clarity to his character and how God functions. God will fill your heart when you set your heart with truth he loves and he sends us and he enables us with his grace to carry out his orders. Otherwise, we fail tremendously. So do we set our hearts and so receive our assignment and then be sent as workers? And part of that is seeing the person in front of you. A lot of you have heard me say that a lot, but that's essentially what our Stephen ministers do here. They show up in a person's life for a season and a time of need. And they sit and they listen well with their entire heart and they offer the love of God by being available, the ministry of presence, and they offer prayer as a solution, as a confidence that God is at work in the unseen. So beyond just the Stephen ministers, as believers, we should always be sensitive to who the Lord puts in front of us. Hindrances of this way of life for me. Just to be transparent and honest with you guys, talking from the heart for a minute. 
Think this, as you hear some, some prompts that I'm going to share about my own struggles, think about what you are bringing to the Thanksgiving table. What do you bring into the table? <laughs> All right? And for one, an hindrance, a hindrance of this way of life for me is fear. Anxiety, in a sense, is the absence of guarantee. And we sacrifice our peace when we try to control someone or something outside of our control. So if we wrestle with this control thing because we're trying to make ourselves happy or live our faith into someone's life that they receive the crown themselves, we can't live our lives for someone. They have to make their own decisions. But guess what? The most compelling evidence to me of a change of a living God beyond the word of God is the word of God lived out in another believer. The fruit of the spirit evident in a person's life yesterday, today, and tomorrow we all make mistakes, but that's the most compelling evidence you present to someone, the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said, judge them by their fruit. Paul said the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. So if we have faith and we have truth, but we have not love, we miss pretty much the whole thing. Fear is the chief activator of all my defects. Fear is what drives resentment, greed, lusts, unmet needs deep within my spirit. The only solution is trusting and relying on the Lord, as we know. It is a way of showing up and conducting ourselves amidst fear and worry that God is with me in this. Part of rejoicing always, praying continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, not missing the mission of God, his call in our lives amidst something not going the way we want it to. Fear. Being a fault finder, my ultimate hardship. <laughs> you know, uh, so I live a lifestyle of, of recovery, but I don't try to stay sober, thank the Lord. I walk with the Lord, and by his grace, he gives me good days and bad days. And whatever he hands down, I take the vinegar with the gall. And sometimes I don't do it well. I look onto someone else's life with an intense opinion and an intense perspective of how they should believe, live, act, treat me, etc. Just a couple of weeks ago, Jenny took me on a birthday weekend. Everything every, had every reason in the world to just overflow with joy and gratitude and contentment. We went to this, this restaurant. There was no seats in the restaurant, so we sat up at the bar. Might have been the first time I sat at the bar in quite a bit, but I did. <laughs> My head's right next to top shelf liquor. Couple next to us drinking 32 ounce cervezas. Dude at the end of the bar, loud, proud, dominating the whole restaurant. Everything I saw in that guy, I, I saw myself in him and resented everything I saw. Resented him, even embarrassed myself and said something uh, aloud like everybody needed my thought on it. It wasn't godly. I just said some arrogant comment like, sure is nice and loud in here. <laughs> you know, to, no, no concept of rejoicing always, receiving an assignment, living it out. So I'm telling you, my hindrances are, are true and they're ongoing. I don't, I don't have it figured out. I'm attempting to live life in a way that constantly comes back to the cross that holds the tension. So I say what I say, and you know what I resented more than anything? Two decades removed from alcoholism. I resented the fact that I couldn't go over there and drink something with them. 
you know, and that's, that's the thing about this addiction thing, and that's the thing about whatever is driving your heart, it's not the alcohol sitting on the shelf, it's the alcohol that sits in my heart that needs to be dealt with, and if I drink, I burn my life to the ground, and this isn't a recovery talk, this is a talk about receiving, seeing people, and giving thanks in, in whatever God presents, being a fault finder. Addiction is a disease that captures our minds and it uses it against us. It doesn't have to be substance abuse. Addiction, by definition, is an ever-increasing desire for something that has an ever-decreasing ability to satisfy. So whatever it is that we desire is a clear picture of what's in our hearts. And it doesn't satisfy us, not the Lord, if it's not the Lord. A, de- a disease that captures our mind and uses it against us. So if we're addicted to self, we see that pretty quickly, that we sit on the throne of our lives. This chatter of ego convinces us that we're correct in all situations and all times. Because we talk to ourselves in our own voice, we think we're right all the time. <laughs> That's self-righteousness. So these are my weaknesses. And if you hear something in this that, that applies Write it down and ask the Lord to zero in on this this concept in two words, alienating affliction. Am I ever willing to be wrong? Truth prevails. Fruit is evident. It speaks for itself. We think that our thoughts are our true selves and we live in this state of mind and we're naive to listen to it as truth. So we find ourselves alone in a world, aimlessly wandering around, wondering why we're unhappy. Self-focus as a fourth point of being self-consumed. Self-pity, self-righteousness. Uh, the Thessalia, uh, church in Thess- uh, Thessalonica lacked encouragement and patience. Remembering the things we should forget and forgetting the things we should remember. Another indication of living in the flesh. Remembering the things we should forget. In other words, focusing and obsessing on regret, coulda, shoulda, woulda, wrong done to us, etc. Versus remembering what we should. Our text especially. Rejoicing always, praying continually, giving thanks to God in all circumstances are the three very quick points that I'll run through. To rejoice is to have joy. Joy is the everlasting, deep-seated sense of well-being and pleasure that is produced by the Holy Spirit now living within us as believers of God. It doesn't depend ultimately upon our feelings or our circumstances. We may not always feel happy. We can deliberately call to mind the Lord, and rejoice in him at all times. Our joy isn't based on circumstances. Things change, but God never does. He's immutable. His character, his ways are unchanging. Prayer continually, a a quote pulled from one of Dr. Youssef's books on prayers that God answers, says this, prayer is God's opportunity to reveal his goodness and power and to be glorified and magnified. Prayer is God's opportunity to reveal his goodness and power 
and to be glorified and magnified. When we create space and slow down enough to turn our hearts and our minds and our attention fully to the Lord, as we do on Wednesday nights here at the church, and if you've never come, you should. We have dinner, um, we have a teaching, and then we have a prayer time where we seek the Lord and his glory, and we give back to him through worship and prayer what he created us for. So uh, converting our unceasing thinking unto unceasing prayer, to think and live in the presence of God. Seeing with the eyes of our hearts where the Lord is at work and joining him there. That's a prayerful way of life, joining God in his mission because we've taken the time to see what he's doing in our lives and how he's functioning through our available and willing beings giving thanks in all circumstances, tragedy, aloneness, fear, struggle, anxiety, and even victory, recognition that God is the giver, the maker of all. And we are to give thanks, and that means that we get to do his will, and it shouldn't be burdensome. It's a command, it's a truth, and it shouldn't be a burden. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it never is. It's never a have to, it's a want to, where there is passion deep within our spirit. When problems become our focus, they become our obsession, which affects our identity. And I want to tell a concluding story for the last few minutes that really drives this this understanding of what was happening in 1 Thessalonians 5, where we should have compassion on the afflicted where we should be sensitive to where the Lord is at work, join him in that mission because we have taken the time to pray continually, to commune with the Lord and not miss what he's doing and who he's put in front of us. A little over a month ago, a parent here in the community for for a long time in the community, I was a youth pastor and some of my former students are in here now, Um, but I... And the, this mission of restoration ministry placed on my life as a calling and an identity for a long time. And part of that, that response is being a people helper every day. And again, I have my weak points. I'm, I don't have it all figured out, but my mission is to be a restoration worker. So this parent called me because I had helped their son recently, who's now attending Living Waters with Beth and Tim and the team. Um, And Living Waters, in its own right, is this redemptive work of God at work in the body of Christ through incredible teaching, testimony, and and safe space to confess and receive prayer and the healing work of God at play in the body of Christ. So this dad sent his son to me. I helped him. He's in Living Waters now. He's doing phenomenal. So then he comes back with another guy that had more problems than he could even begin to help with. So about a month ago, I said, okay, I'll meet with him. Paul and I went and had lunch with him right here at Perros. This kid grew up driving by the church every single day. He went to a private school not far from here. All his life, he's been driving by the church. The night before he had lunch with us, he slept in the parking lot of the West Paces Publix. So here's a guy who was positioned for great things in life, and because of circumstances, he found himself homeless. 
So the Lord used me as a stepping stone in this kid's life. We sat with him. We prayed about, what do we do with this guy? His problems are so great, we don't even know where to start. So he was going to be homeless for the next four days, and I, I just told Jenny about it, and instantly we sat in that prayer space, and the Lord instructed us to bring him into our home, which we did for a few days. Jenny washed all his clothes, we hosted him, we ministered to him, we spoke truth into his life. And through that, that place of offering our lives to him and seeing him right where he was and loving him there, not where we thought he should be until, but loving him in that spot of need. We went to a wedding over the weekend. I talked to the, uh, a, a young guy that I used to mentor up in Alpharetta where I grew up. And his wife is the son of a businessman up in Alpharetta who has a, an insurance agency that's multi-state all over the country. And she goes, you know what? Based on what you're telling me about that kid, I bet my dad would help him. I said, all right. So we leave. We go to church the next morning here at Apostles, and I tell this guy, I say, you know, he's early 20s. I say, hey, are you interested at all in going to church? You're not expected to. Instantly, he said, I would love to. He goes down, and he sits with us on the front row. Well, before, when we pull into the parking deck, I'm praying the whole time, Lord, let that one guy from church be here that I might invite the next stepping stone. Sure enough, I pull into the parking deck in a spot I never park. There's the guy I was praying about right next to me. Pull out within one minute, that guy offers this kid a place to live indefinitely. A testament of God's faithfulness working through a body of believers. This isn't a self-promotion story, okay? We go into the worship service. He hears Dr. Youssef preach. He hears the worship. He experiences each of you in a way where we lead with the heart instead of an agenda. And he received the love of God, and he received the truth of God, and he had a, re a renewed faith leaving here. So about three weeks later or so, I call, I call back this father that originally sent him to me, and I said, hey, you need to get this kid over to the businessman in Alpharetta who's living at the time way out in northeast Georgia with his family from the church, members that are hosting him. The guy pays $100 for him to go Uber all the way over to Alpharetta from where he is. And within sitting in front of this business leader who leads with his heart as a believer in Christ, invested in him like you can't imagine. Pays off some debt, positions him for the next best decision, and entrusts him by faith and, his, and what he presents in life as, as a, a person that has potential, he gave the kid a career opportunity with full benefits. And here's a guy who was sleeping in the, in the West Pace's shopping center just a month ago. The story continues on, but the, the, the redemptive factor is that he told myself, I was ready to call it quits, but you and your wife offered yourselves up and have renewed my faith, and I'm not going to mess this up. It wasn't me and Jenny. It wasn't the guy who sent him. It wasn't this businessman. It was the work of God carried out through available and willing people to be the presence of hope for someone in an extreme situation. We can't heal or fix everybody, and not everyone's our assignment. But if we're available to the person in front of us, we pray continually, we rejoice always, 
and we recognize his mission in our life, giving thanks in the good and bad day, he uses us as restoration workers. Let's pray. Lord, help us to hear from you and receive our assignment and give us the faith to carry it out. Flood our hearts with your grace, with your truth and your love that hope might increase all the more. But let our lives be marked with the cross that holds the tension. And let this Thanksgiving uh, holiday and Christmas just be one that we are givers instead of takers. Minister to us in our great need for you. More of us, more of you, less of us in every way. Bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.